sometimes it's the same in operating as in writing. You have to just sort of find a, a will and a passion for it and put yourself through the torture of, of getting yourself up the mountain. Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Great. Today we are uh, lucky to have Mike Lawton. Mike Lawton is our guest from the Barrow Neurological Institute. Uh, many of you know who he is. He was basically the principal vascular and open surgeon at UC San Francisco before he took his new post at the Barrow Neurological in Phoenix, and now he runs uh, the cranial division of that. So welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you, Mike. And JP, thanks for having me. Great, great. Well, you know, we are so enamored with with you as being sort of like the ultimate neurosurgeon in the sense that everybody has heard about and everybody knows about your technical wizardry. You are one of those folks who um, seems to be able to get out of any bind. I've spoken to my good friend Praveen Mumanini about you, and uh, he worked with you at UCSF. And everybody who's trained under you that I've talked to has said, Mike Lawton is, is a true master surgeon. So we wanted to focus on that. And maybe you can walk us through a little bit about the features. What are the things that make a technical skull-based vascular surgeon uh, really good and different? Yeah, um, really great question. And um, I, I think um, it all starts with um, a, a passion to get to the top of that mountain. And uh, I, I think um, for me, um, I trained with Dr. Spetzler and I always... Um, viewed him or learned that he was the surgeon of that era. And so I, I think part of um, climbing that mountain is just um, having seen a real master yourself when you're young and impressionable, and then wanting to get to that point yourself. Um, that real desire to climb the mountain is, is so critical in, uh, in becoming technically excellent. I think the, uh, the elements that go into it are, uh, I have a, a, a lot almost like a laundry list of these things that, um, that are important to, uh, to develop mastery. And it all starts with things like anatomy. Then it goes to things like using your instruments and your microscope uh, to its fullest potential. Next, it's developing your manual dexterity. Then it's about who you observe, who mentors you as you're, you're developing yourself. Then it's about the volume, the case volume that you have. Um, part of it's about your own management of those cases, like spending time each day to reflect on the cases you've done and pull out those pearls. Then um, always analyzing your results, publishing, looking at how you can learn from the things you've done and get better. Um, and finally, it's pushing the envelope. I think you get better by constantly trying to um, either reach that standard that's been set for you or exceed it in some way. Now, some of this is innate, right? Some people are just more gifted technically, but were there things that you recognized or did consciously to try to become such a good surgeon? Yeah, it's an interesting idea. I, I um, 
will tell you a little story in medical school. I, I remember my gross anatomy. I did um, my dissection with my housemate who wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. He was um, uh, a really gifted guy. And when we did our gross anatomy together and I compared my skills, my innate skills to his, I really felt inferior. And uh, I think there, there is some innate talent that people have, but I also feel like um, you really have to work at it. And um, I really didn't feel like I had uh, any unusual gifts when I started. So I can't say that I just picked up an instrument and I had this incredible natural ability. I think it's um, really a process of um, committing yourself and working at it every day and um, uh, all those different parts of the list I just mentioned. Uh, that's, that's really the, the secret about this. It's hard work, it's determination, and it's time. Well, Dr. Lawton, um, you know, talking about the innate technical skill that someone brings to the table when they show up, maybe looking at the other end of that spectrum, um, there's, you know, these two schools of thought in any technical or manual discipline. In surgery, it's I can teach a monkey to operate, or it's something that you're born with that obviously needs development in practice, but you're, you're born with the skills or the potential for those skills that you have. You've obviously trained countless residents um, I had the privilege to attend a talk you gave where you mentioned if your fellows show a hint of tremor in the lab, um, you send them to practice more before they come to the operating room. From the other end of the spectrum for that baseline skill level, do you think people have a ceiling to the technical skill they can achieve? Yeah. Um, boy, I think uh, there are certain... Um, People that I've encountered that uh, that I think do have a ceiling. Um, there are certain people that just um, um, you just don't feel like you can make a lot of progress. But I think they're the vast majority. Uh, vast minority. I think most people. Um, it really is um, something that if you're a good teacher and you can inspire them, you can you can raise the ceiling for them. Uh, and that really is um, what I find probably the most challenging part of of my my day to day is to try and find a way to, to bring out that best in people. Um, it it um, uh, takes a lot of work, um, uh, but but I think um, you know uh, th there is some. Um, uh, it's almost like this list of, of ingredients that you need. It's not. It's really not just about how good your hands are. Um, that that's obviously what people look at. So your reference to like the fellow with the tremor. Um, that's really only a piece of it. Right. There, I think, are probably a dozen different qualities that go into making a, a, a good surgeon, a great surgeon. And um, I've come across so many residents in my decades of, uh, of teaching, and some have maybe eight of those 12 key ingredients, and they go really far. Uh, but then you get that resident who has all 12 of those ingredients, and they're just spectacular. Or somebody has, may only have four. Um, or maybe the proportions aren't right. It, there is there is so much alchemy to this whole idea of um, of technical excellence or mastery, whatever you want to call it, and um, it's elusive. It's really hard to really break it down. I've tried, uh, but there are a lot of things that go into that. Right. Um, you mentioned, you know, with with some of those individuals that you've trained, trying to raise that ceiling for them. Uh, all of us here today are within academia. Many of our listeners are within academia. Um, 
in a few months, I'm going to have my first interns and be responsible for someone else's training. So since education is inherently part of the job for all of us, but something that we don't really get a lot of training in, are there any particular tricks or techniques you've learned to help raise the ceiling for those folks uh, technically? Or, or is it, as I imagine, there's got to be some component where it's a case-by-case situation with each person, but are there any general techniques you found really work? Yeah, well, JP, you're about to enter probably the hardest part of your uh, career because on the one hand, as you become a a new attending, you want to um, develop your own skill. It's finally your chance to spread your wings and test your mettle and go out and do those tough cases. So you're hungry to get going But at the same time, you also want that relationship, that rapport with your residents, and you want to give them some autonomy. You want to be a good mentor to them. So it's a really hard tug of war. I I look back on um, where I was uh, when I started and where I am today, and I think there's a huge difference. When you start, you're very invested in your own skill development, the outcomes for your patients, your, your own reputation within your institution. Those things are so critically important that you you're, you end up focusing. Um, as you get further along and your reputation gets established, then it's not quite as um, important to be um, so involved. I, I think it's far easier today to turn over more portions of cases where I can give a resident that autonomy or I can sit by their side and just let them um, do, do their thing. Um, and, and tolerate some um, some things that maybe starting off I wouldn't have tolerated. I think the only answer to your question is that um, it's a process that evolves with time. And I think um, the the more secure secure you are in your own development and your own reputation, both at home and abroad, the easier it becomes to um, to give residents those opportunities to really grow themselves. So, Mike, you, you mentioned that there's uh, eight or ten skill sets that you had already started to parse out as being relatively distinct. And some of our listeners, they are not in residency training yet or some are just getting started. Can you go through, run quickly through sort of a, a gross check of that list of types of things, types of skills that that make the master surgeon? Yeah. So um, it all begins uh, with anatomy. The um, You can have... Uh, tremendous hands. But if you don't know the landscape that you're walking through, uh, you won't be a good surgeon. So I think um, first on my list is just, um, I I think the best surgeons are the ones who love their anatomy. And um, those are the ones that are willing to go to the lab. They're willing to spend hours and hours dissecting cadaver heads and looking at these little subtle relationships between nerves and arteries and pieces of the skull base and really finding the nuance and finding um, new ways to open it up. Uh, so that, that's first and foremost. Um, the second is um, uh, pathology. You know, in order, in order to be really good with the diseases we treat, you really have to see a ton of pathology. And I think that's part of this is just exposing yourself, putting yourself in a place where you see a lot of brain aneurysms, a lot of AVMs, a lot of caverns, whatever it is. Um, just seeing a lot of that, so you're, you're never surprised in the OR. Um, the microscope, I, I love the microscope. It's um, uh, one of those things that um, when I look through that, that uh, ocular into the space and see the illumination and the magnification, it, it's a world that really um, pulls me in. Um, 
years, decades after I started. So I think um, loving that space, being comfortable with the microscope, using it to its full uh, potential to get every advantage, that's a critical skill. Um, dexterity, you know, dexterity, you'll notice it's, it's fourth on this list. It's not even number one because um, some of these other things are, are kind of the mental aspects of the game. The dexterity obviously is critical. You're not going to get very far in vascular neurosurgery if you've got shaky hands and you're trying to do a bypass to the PCA. So you've got to have that. Um, but I wouldn't say that it's the end all and the be all. Um, observation and mentorship, you know, these are things that um, are part of that inspirational side. You, you have to be driven to, to do this. And I think um, part, of, part of what's maybe unique about the really good surgeons is they don't, they don't seem to get bored. Like I've done 700 bypasses and I love every one of it. It's not like it ever gets tiresome or boring to me. Um, I've done thousands of, of aneurysms and they never get boring. I think part of, um, part of it is just um, being in a place where you can um, have great mentorship, uh, have huge volume and go through that process and stay uh, engaged uh, over a long period of time. I think another thing that's really been valuable for me is um, uh, is is personal reflection. Like um, every case that I do, I put in a case log, and I try and write something down that's meaningful uh, that I've learned. and um, And that's a ritual. It's it's it, the end of the day. It's usually the last thing I do before I turn off the lights in the office and go home. But I make sure that I log the case and I put something in that field of my log that um, that that are my notes. Um, whether it's you know a new trick that I tried or a mistake I made or whatever it is, whatever hits me with that, I, I, I now have a log that spans 20 plus years and it's an incredible resource for me. I think that process of self-evaluation uh, is, uh, is critical. Um, pushing the envelope is, was one of those things I put on that list and that uh, really is about um, trying to find uh, a, a, that next challenge. I think you get to be great by always trying to, uh, to beat some, some goal or, or uh, meet some challenge. And I think uh, whether that's uh, a new bypass that you've dreamed up or a giant basilar aneurysm or whatever it is, you, I think um, for me, it's been so helpful just to kind of push myself even even now I could get complacent and stop trying or, or fall back to the comfortable, easy stuff. But, but I, I find myself um, always pushing, uh, trying not to get bored with the routine and uh, finding ways to innovate. And I think that really keeps it fresh. You know, to hear you talk about pushing the envelope, Dr. Lawton, um, reminds me of, again, that, that talk of yours I got to attend. You were um, promoting your newest book, The Seven Bypasses, and you talked about how a lot of the concepts you were discussing in the book were such a creative effort. And as you said, dreaming up new bypasses. So kind of turning the focus of the conversation away from you know, technical skill, broadly speaking, talk a little bit, if you could, about your writing process. In addition to your academic and uh, surgical career, which has obviously taken off greatly, you have these series of books that are very well read very successful. I think they're great reads, very conversational and compelling um, structure and language to them. How has your writing style and uh, your interest in writing evolved throughout your career in hand? 
Well, thank you, JP, for uh, acknowledging the books. I, um, you know, you write books in solitude and you never know whether they connect with an audience. And uh, it's been one of my greatest uh, things to hear um, people come to me and say, these books helped me during a case or they saved a life or they meant something to me. And, and so I appreciate the, the comment. Um, so I think uh, there's a quote that I use. It's called, uh, or it says that the pen is mightier than the scalpel. And I, I have come to believe that is true. Um, you can do 5,000 aneurysms and get amazing results, but if you never write a paper, no one will know what you've done. If you can, on the other hand, take your experiences from those 5,000 aneurysms and distill them into something meaningful that impacts an audience in some way. It doesn't even have to be neurosurgically. It could be uh, more humanitarian or some other way. That, then you really have a, a real power to connect. And I think um, as, I've, as I've gone through my career, I've realized that that to me is the, the more exciting challenge um, is to try and find that connection to a bigger audience or a connection to the world. You know, the world we live in is so tiny. It's several thousand neurosurgeons in this country or, you know, I don't know, maybe 20,000 neurosurgeons worldwide, but it's tiny. And if, if we want to make a bigger mark, we have to find ways to communicate and express the ideas. So for me, um, the creative expression in what I do is really what it's all about. Um, that could be um, in writing these books, which I think is connected to our neurosurgical world. Um, but I also feel like um, creativity comes in so many different ways. Um, creativity sometimes is um, uh, just finding a new bypass that's never done, been done before. And to me, I love doing that. that that's, a, that's a form of artistic creativity or artistic expression that I think um, I, I happen to love about bypass and why that book is so thick. I wanted to really capture that whole creative process that um, most of our other work doesn't allow us to do. Um, I will say this, you know, I, um, I'm not a writer. I'm an engineer. When I went to college, I, I was a biomedical engineer. It was a painful process for me to write. Um, sitting down with pen and paper was, was pure torture. And um, I've almost willed myself to become a writer because I believe in this whole process of creativity and self-expression and making a mark that's bigger than our particular profession uh, through that work. So I, I think in, in many ways that circles back to the beginning of our conversation about excellence. You know, sometimes it's the same in operating as in writing. You have to just sort of find a, a will and a passion for it and put yourself through the torture of, of getting yourself up the mountain and making it happen. And let me just offer some props for your other two best-selling books. Uh, was it Seven Aneurysms and Seven AV, AVMs, is it? Uh, great books, great reads, and, and visually stunning. So, um, you know, Mike, we have about a 1,000 listeners uh, that tune in regularly to us, and I suspect a lot of them are younger, maybe people in college still, maybe people in medical school. And I've, I've made a big deal about things like um, – you know, like we had an episode on cannabis that I feel strongly that, you know, if you want to be a neurosurgeon, that I'll go on the record saying that you shouldn't be smoking cannabis. Um, things of that sort, physical fitness, I know is big at the Barrow. So, you know, you and I have been in China together and the Chinese surgeons always talk about how because they use chopsticks, they're maybe better at dexterity and 
you know, my dad used to make me transfer chopsticks, um, transfer, I'm sorry, ice cubes with a chopstick from one bowl to the other. And that makes, they're very slippery. And the slower you are, the slipperier they get, right? So it's kind of, it's kind of a torture uh, program. But what, what can young people do or what can they avoid? Let's say, let's say you're 15 years old and you say, look, I want to be Mike Lawton someday. Talk to that person and say, well, these are the things that I would tell you to avoid. And these are the things that I would tell you to do. Yeah, so first, I want to um, thank you for, as a spine surgeon, reading my vascular books. That's impressive, Mike. <laughs> um, so um, I, I'll tell you, I don't really, um, well, I, I'll say this. I, I don't drink coffee. I uh, love coffee, um, but I think caffeine is one of those evil things that um, I shy away from and avoid. Um, I'm a complete believer in um, sleep and exercise. Uh, I don't know whether it's my physiology or or what, but I um I feel like I need seven hours of sleep a night. It's I would love to be somebody like Jacques Marcos or Dan Barrow who seem to get by on three hours a night, and you'd never know it. Uh, I have to make a concession to my physiology and get plenty of good rest. Um, I'm a little fanatical about exercise. Um, I think um, endurance and uh, fitness is so important in these cases. You all know it's these are long cases and doing a bypass where you're exposing a deep uh, posterior cerebral artery and then harvesting a radial artery and then exposing the neck and connecting. I mean, it's just a tremendous amount of hard work over many hours. So I think the endurance is really important. Um, and I'll say this about the exercise. I don't um, I'm not a huge fan of like, for example, uh, playing basketball or football or volleyball even. I'm a huge fan of um, getting on a mountain bike and riding my bike for f three or four hours in the desert or um, uh, things where your mind is allowed to really explore and roam. Because I think um, um, that's where a lot of these creative connections happen. I think, um, you know, for me, I get a good night's sleep. I go out in the mornings. I spend my hour a day uh, exercising. And a lot of this creative process that we've been talking about happens in that, that magical window between six o'clock and seven o'clock where I'm on a bike or I'm running a trail and, and I'm just able to kind of let my thoughts connect. And um, so I, I think those are some of the key things that I would say is, is um, good sleep, um, exercise, some freedom so that your mind can wander and, um, you know, avoiding some of the, uh, the, uh, the ills like uh, tobacco and uh, caffeine and that sort of thing. Well, Dr. Lawton, on behalf of uh, us and all of our listeners, I think the messages you've shared today um, from the scalpel to the pen, from the mountain bike to the operating room, um, focusing on the head and heart aspects of technical mastery beyond just the hands, I think that resonates with all of our listeners. Um, certainly our, our younger folks uh, still in training like myself and early in their careers. I think will benefit greatly from what you've shared today. So thank you very much, Dr. Mike Lawton, for joining us here on the Neurosurgery Podcast. Well, thank you, JP, and thank you, Mike. It's been a pleasure, and uh, congratulations on this podcast. I think it's been uh, a really great contribution.